Welcome to Behind the Spotlight, a different kind of podcast where we have real, deep conversations with entrepreneurs and celebrity visionaries who are making their potential possible. They are certainly ahead of their time and worthy of yours. So listen as I take your favorite entrepreneurs off a pedestal and onto a bar stool right next to you. In life, it all comes down to building powerful, long-lasting relationships in a thoughtful, authentic way. You know, we all see that highlight reel of successful entrepreneurs, but I want to take you behind the spotlight and show you who they were before they figured it all out. Let's explore the sometimes torturous, but always interesting paths their lives have taken. So I'm Beth, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and a magnetic business mentor. I help entrepreneurs to strategically prepare their business and gain exposure through collaboration and media so they can make their mark on the world. I'm a huge believer in the power of potential to catapult your life forward. So join me as we explore stories of some of our favorite people leveraging their past to make their potential possible on Behind the Spotlight. For this week's episode, we have Sam Horn. Okay, I literally took five pages of notes while I was interviewing her. She's the founder and CEO of the Intrigue Agency, had three TED Talks, nine books. She's the founder of Tung Fu. I know, you need to know what this is about. You need to hear what she's dropping because the knowledge is deep. Enjoy. Sam, I am so excited to talk to you. I was just watching your TED Talk from Bethesda talking about um, and, I was, and, I, and as I'm watching, I'm taking notes because I wanted the whole system. <laughs> I, and I love what you just said. What you just said on the TED Talk was that your elevator speech is all about me and not about the other person. I thought that was I've never heard someone say that before. I thought that was so interesting. So tell me a little bit of how, like how you came up with Tung Fu and a little bit more about you. Okay, uh, sounds good. So there are uh, several questions. So we'll start with how <laughs> I came up with Tung Fu, and okay. then we'll go ahead and get into what you just talked about is why elevator speeches are, you know, as Bette Midler said, enough about me. What do you think about <laughs> me, right? <laughs> yeah. And how we can really make them a, a, more of a conversation instead of a speech. How I came up with Tung Fu is uh, this was back in Hawaii, and I lived there for 17 years. And the first week I was there, I went up to University of Hawaii and I talked with Dr. Ray Oshiro and uh, I offered a concentration class for them. And then uh, about six months later, he said, you know, Sam, we're getting a lot of requests for a talk on conflict, handling conflict at work, customers, employees, etc." So I offered a public workshop on that. And at our first break, there was a gentleman in the front row and he didn't even get up and get a cup of coffee or get some fresh air. He just kind of sat there gazing off into space. And I was curious and I went over and I said, what are you thinking? And he said, Sammy said, I'm a realtor. I deal with some really demanding and arrogant people and they seem to think they can treat me any way they want to. He said, Mm -hmm. I'm tired of it. He said, I thought you were gonna teach us some zingers to fire back at people and put them in their place. He said, that's not what this is about, is it? And I said, no, it's it's not about putting people in their place. It's about putting ourselves in their place so that we can respond with compassion instead of contempt. And he was the one who said, I'm a student of martial arts. He said, I've studied karate, taekwondo, judo. He said, what you're talking about is like a verbal form of kung fu, isn't it? 
Eureka, the perfect name, <laughs> Tung Fu. <laughs> and that's what it is. It's martial arts for the mind and mouth. Oh, I love that. I have, My son plays jujitsu, does jujitsu. He's well, not anymore, but he was for years and years and years. And he's definitely used a lot of things that he's learned from that uh, within the Tung Fu. Yeah. So, can, so can you tell us a little bit more about how you use it? Sure. It's, it's, well, your son does jujitsu so that you yeah. know that when you learn martial arts, you don't go out looking for fights. That's not the point of it, you know? And, and the point of it is that if people pick a fight with us, we don't flail back because that just makes it worse, right? Or we don't freeze. It's really a, how we can handle challenging situations uh, proactively and compassionately. So I'll give you a quick example. Like when someone complains, don't explain explanations actually make it worse because explanations come across as excuses. So mm -hmm. if someone complains, don't explain, take the A train. A is for agree, A is for apologize, A is for act. For example, say you're late picking your son up from school, right? There's an accident on the freeway or something happens. I'm so sorry. You know, you were supposed to be here half an hour ago. Oh, I know there was an accident on the highway. How was I supposed to know that? I didn't know if you'd forgotten me. I didn't know if you were coming. Don't blame me. It wasn't my fault. Do you see how explanations just escalate the whole oh, yeah. situation? If if you say, you're right, you're right. I was supposed to pick you up a half an hour ago, A for apologize, and I'm sorry. You ended up waiting, A for act, and from now on, I'm going to build in a cushion for Murphy's Law. So do you see how the A train expedites complaints? It it advances the conversation. Explanations aggravate them. Yes, that's a great parenting tip as well as a business tip when you have clients <laughs> coming back at you. You know, I have that a lot with clients coming back at me. Well, this didn't work and this didn't work. And you said this was going to happen. You know, in my, res in my head, my response is, okay, but what didn't you do? You know, I can't do that. You know, and I always try to explain. I try not to explain. I try to think around the problem. But I like the way that you're, I like the way that you're talking. I think I'm definitely going to try that. And Sam, I, you know, I watched a lot of you, a lot of different videos that you do. And I love the way that you really attack or really come to, your suggestions like the A train. So where does this all come from for you? Did you, were you a speaker growing up? Well, I'll always be grateful to my dad. Uh, I lived Aww. in a very small town in Southern California, more tumbleweeds than people. And <laughs> uh, so I was eighth grade valedictorian, which was, you know, big deal in a small town. And uh, <laughs> so I, I gave my little practice speech to my dad because he was in charge of FFA, Future Farmers of America. And they really, they have speech contests all around the country. And so he, he heard me give my little bird leaving the nest story. And uh, he said, it's an okay speech. You just didn't say anything I hadn't heard before. And he said, Sam, if we're going to ask people for their time and attention, it is our responsibility to be original. And I, dad, I said, Dad, but there's nothing new under the sun. He said, of course there is. Do you know what the definition of original is? If we haven't heard it before. And, and so I, even at a young age, and yes, I did compete in speech contests through college and, and high school and so forth. It was just that, that in a world of infobesity, wah, 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 we oh, I like have that. A, you know, it, and yeah. you know, this, this is your work is how do we break out instead of blend in, in a world of mm -hmm. infobesity, you know, blending in is for Cuisinarts, right? Not for, <laughs> not for marketing campaigns or companies or careers. Yeah. And so part of how we do that, and that's what my pop book is all about. 
How do we come up with one of a kind names or titles or airtight sound bites, memes that are repeatable and retweetable? How do we have frameworks and formats for our work to make them uh, easy to understand and apply? So a lot of what I do for myself and my clients is how can we take your idea and then craft it so people can repeat it after they heard it once and they're more motivated to act on it. I love everything you just said because I feel <laughs> like people, you know, as a podcast host, a lot, and I have a lot of clients and I mean, a lot of guests that come on and, and I'm, the conversation I usually have is like, think sound bites. And people have a very hard time in thinking in sound bites. The advice I give to my clients is if you're answering a question, and then you answer it, and then you say and, and answer it again, you should have stopped before the first and. There's Good no thing. and in the answer. <laughs> because other, then you just keep going and going and going. What's your advice on and how to do sound bites? Okay, think really now, I tell you, Beth, let's, let's go back to what you just said, because you and I think in sound bites, you just said something that popped out of that conversation. So we ink it when we think it, right? Oh. And you know what you said? I, I, I tell you, this is really good. If you haven't already crafted this line, it's ready to be crafted right now. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Write it down. down. There is no and, A-N-D, in answer. Beth ah. Nidick, boom. I love it. Come on. Well, I need, I need <laughs> your mirror. <laughs> now, do you see, though? Okay, so let's uh, reverse engineer that for people because, and then we're going to delve into how anyone listening, what, what do they have coming up that's really important to them? Are they going to be on a Zoom call? Are they going to give a report in a virtual meeting or a presentation? You know, are they pitching for funding? Are they doing their website? They're writing a blog for LinkedIn. They're doing, you know, some a media interview. You know, uh, they're doing something for Oprah Magazine, whatever, <laughs> right? Okay, so the first thing first is to remember what Gary Marshall said. Did you see the movie Pretty Woman by any chance? Oh, of course. One of my favorites. Okay. Well, Gary Marshall was the director and the producer mm -hmm. of that. And I think you may know that I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference for 17 years, kind of what can yeah. is to the film. Yeah. Okay. So Gary was one of our favorite keynoters and he said something so profound. I remember it as if he said it this morning. He said, Hollywood directors can predict when their movies will make money based on one thing. And you know what that is? What? Do people walk out of the theater <laughs> repeating something they heard word for word? Mm -hmm. So see, if, if people walk out saying, make my day, I'll be back, right. show me the money. Wow. When someone says, seen any good movies, they're talking about your movie, right? They just became a brand ambassador. They are taking you viral for free. And it's because you crafted a soundbite. This is not word play. It's word profits, right? <laughs> so here's how we do it. Number one is to listen for what pops out. You just said there is no and in answer. And I knew that is intriguing. It got my eyebrows up. I thought, oh, it, it, it was a little visceral thrill when you mm -hmm. said that, right? So we write it down. Now I'm going to give three steps on why that was already crafted, just wait. <laughs> Yay, I know you're going to run with this after our podcast, aren't you? <laughs> oh, totally. No, you know, I really resonate with what okay. you're saying because my kids were watching the new Borat. I have teenage boys, so they were watching the new Borat movie. Yeah, and when it was go. over, they said, there's not so many lines. 
because they were anticipating having those repeatable lines from the movie and they were disappointed that there weren't enough. See, you know, you deal a lot with social media and traditional media and you have emphasized sound bites. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once again, you know that if someone uh, submits an article for publication or they are interviewed and at the end of the interview, people cannot repeat anything they heard word for word. It's out of sight, out of mind, right? Oh, yes. oh 100%. <laughs> you know, yeah, that opportunity is just gone. So people are saying, okay, we agree with this. How do we do this? <laughs> okay, okay, here's how to do an airtight soundbite. Write down A-I-R. A is for alliteration. And you know this, words that start with mm -hmm. the same sound make us instantly eloquent and make our language lyrical, right? <laughs> bed, yes. bath, and, you know, if you say bed, toilet, shower, Dunkin' croissants, best purchase, <laughs> clunky, right? Yeah. <laughs> make those words start with the same sound, bed, bath, and beyond, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Rolls Royce, Best Buy. So when I heard there is no and in answer, answer. do you it. hear how it mm -hmm. popped it right already? Love All it. All right. So number one, you pass the first test of an airtight sound bite. Second, write down iambic meter. And when you put it in a beat, you make it easy to repeat. When you put it in a beat, you make it easy to repeat. You know that there is a cadence, right? There is an inflection to sound bites that make them more memorable. So uh, if I said, uh, I can't believe I ate the whole thing or takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Or if I said, <laughs> what happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas. I know that Stays one. <laughs> in Vegas. If you see something, say, say something. something. Right. Do you hear how that, that what we're doing is there's a, there's a uh, musicality to aircrafted sound bites, right? There's almost this harmonic resonance. Wow. They roll off the tongue. So when you said there is no and in answer, right? Now we're gonna we're going to have signature inflection around it. Um, Arthur Levine is J.K. Rowling's editor at Scholastic. J.K. Rowling, you know, is mm -hmm. at the Harry Potter series. So he was one of our favorite keynoters at Maui Writers Conference also. Sure. And he came up to me after I emceed and he said, Sam, he said, I love the way you speak. You put space around your words. <laughs> so when we deliver an airtight sound bite, like from now on, when you use that soundbite, whether it's with your clients or whether it's on an interview yourself, you say, you know what I found? Pause, pause, pause. There is no punch and in pause, 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 answer, you know, and then pause, 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 oh. right? You put space around. It. <laughs> there is no, and I call this pause and punch. And it is inflection. That. It does put this rhythm around your words, it puts space around them. So we don't do what I call Russian blush. You know, you work with people on media a lot and you know, when yep. we're nervous, we often race through oh. our content, right? <laughs> oh, all the time. I, I'm like, slow down. And like, as I'm speaking, I'm telling myself, slow down, slow down, slow down. I make an excuse that I'm from New Jersey and I talk so fast, but <laughs> it, I'm just nervous. So I had to slow down. Okay, so you want an unsolicited input about that? Yes. Okay, do you play sports or do your teenage sons play sports? Yes. Okay, and what sports do they play? Lacrosse. Lacrosse, okay, great. 
you know that that every athlete knows that if they tell themselves to slow down, that it has almost become a platitude. If you tell, don't swing oh. so fast, right? Don't 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 try and hit the cover off the ball, right? Is that it? It actually the it falls on uninterested ears these days. So I, when you say something specific, it is much more likely to land and be acted on. So from now on, slow down, because you probably s- said it to yourself for so many mm-hmm. years right now, it really doesn't oh, land yeah. or change behavior, right? Right. So from now on, say pause and punch. Because I, I wrote down. Yeah. Because do you hear how it is a more specific directive? And especially when I work with clients like on their TEDx talks or UN talks, South by Southwest talks, we actually, we usually don't work with scripts. However, we we come up with our airtight sound bites, and then it's almost like a musical score. On their notes, on that particular phrase, they'll have dot, dot, dot. There is no and, and we'll have and in caps or and in bold in, and then we'll have dot, 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 bold answer. Right. So do you see just looking at it? Now, let me be quiet for a second. So go ahead now and... Uh, put me in the scene where you are you are talking on media about being a good media guest and how would you use that phrase uh you know i do a lot of speaking engagements like on, I, I speak a lot in facebook groups and tv as well and i talk about um how to speak in public and how to speak on camera so if i could tell you one thing about speaking on camera and how not and how to speak in sound bites i would say that there is no and in answer. Mm-mm. Okay. No, we're, I did it wrong. Planned. I knew I did it wrong. Okay. Well, and and see, good for you for being a test case because everyone yeah. gets to hear. Did you hear the downward inflection on the word answer? We buried it and we trailed off. We lost it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why pause and punch. And, and we're going to, sh- how we uh. verbally highlight it is we say, do you know one of the most important things I've learned in 10 years of helping people get on shows like blank, blank, blank? Do, so do you see the highlight? We kind of put in a little bit of your history there to like ramp this up and, to, and wow, if she's helped people get into Oprah and she's helped people get into whatever. You just verbally highlighted it by saying one of the most important things I've learned in 10 years of helping people get. Do you see how you've just elevated everyone's interest, right? Yeah. Yeah, I raised the raise the eyebrows. Gotcha. Boom. There you go. <laughs> it's and then you would repeat it in order to highlight it. The most important thing is, and it's almost a beat, beat, beat. Because once again, that's a specific directive, right? If we just say pause, how long, right? I mean, it just goes right. in one ear out the other. So it's beat, beat, beat. There is no and in. Answer, answer, you know, and then we elongate the word. We almost like roll it around and savor it, you know. There is so, no and in answer. Okay, I love it. Now we're going to elongate answer anymore because in okay. a way, this is where the fun of speaking comes in. And it mm-hmm. really does. It is an antidote to Russian blush. It is taking, it's going back to what my dad said is that, you know, people want to be thrilled, Right. They really, they watch Drew Barrymore, you know, they watch, they they read Oprah magazine. Please give me a gem, right? <laughs> yeah, something I could take away with me. That's exactly right. 
So see, you are, as a communicator, just in responsibility for saying, I put a lot of time and effort into this speech, you know, or I really want <laughs> funding for my startup, or I really want people to buy my book or sign up for my program or something. So I've got this opportunity. And if I want people to like buy my book or my e-course or, or pay me to speak again, then the ball is in my court to be so interesting and to deliver even one thing that at the end of the day, when someone says, so, so what do you learn at that online summit? Uh, flatline, right? No. Yeah. That's not successful. Woman. She said something so fascinating. She said, balls in your court, go. There is no and an answer. Ah. <laughs> ah. Well, it's also like the inflection, but it's also like the purpose behind it. Like, I want you to really understand what the answer is and not just that a word is answer. <sighs> Sam, I love you so much. This is like, I'm like, mind is blown. But I want to get back to the third point because I know we were talking for a yeah. while over that. Okay. Pandemic third meter. Is good. Yeah. And third is rhyme. Rhyme is sublime because it's remembered over time. So now let me get let me show once again that this is not petty, it's pivotal. Is okay. that um, years ago, the US government was really concerned in injuries and fatalities in car accidents. So they mounted a multi-million dollar public service campaign and it was called Buckle Up for Safety. Oh, you know, <laughs> Duke, Duke Ellington said, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, you know, so nothing happened. No one noticed, no one cared, no one changed their behavior. So they went back to the drawing board and spent a lot more money. However, this time they came up with click it or ticket. Ah, click Boom. it or ticket. Yeah. Click it or ticket. And see, Beth, here's the thing is that compliance went up, injuries and fatalities went down. This is not wordplay. It's not silly semantics. This changed people's behavior. It saved lives. You know, it's three words, click it or ticket, saved lives. So I'm reaching out to everyone who's listening to your podcast is once again, you have something you care about. You have some message, some issue. And when we speak at the end, if people cannot repeat anything they heard word for word, it's gone. Mind-blowing, Sam, really mind-blowing. And I think that a lot of people listening will be maybe renaming their products, <laughs> renaming their shows, you know, um, I have a new program coming out next year, which is going to is called the Publicity Primer. So mm -hmm. I feel really good about that name now, um, mm -hmm. and what it's going to convey in, in yeah. the uh, in the PP. Or I have a friend who has a group called the Possibility Posse, which I love. Mm -hmm. um, I love that name as well. That's amazing. Okay, now let's give another because part of what we're talking about is not just making something repeatable and retweetable so people mm -hmm. remember it and uh, and recommend it and want to work with it or buy it or something. We can also talk about, you know, trademarking because see, mm -hmm. Tung Fu was an original word, right? I created that. And so I was able to trademark it. And I've been certifying people around the world now for, for more than 20 years. You know, it's been selling in 12 languages around the world for 20 years because it was an original word. So now let's come back 
to your friends who have the possibility posse. Tell me that they're spelling it the P-O-S-S-E-B-I-L-I-T-Y, P-O-S-S-E, the possibility posse. Boom. They just have a trademarkable name by changing the spelling of it. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's awesome. Oh, now I see what you mean. I love that. Okay. So do you see how, once again, this is the way my brain works because I use all these (laughs) techniques. I mean, as you know, when you learn a skill, you go through four stages. The first stage is aware. Like if we tried to write with our other hand, you know, it was, it would be very awkward. We wouldn't get very good results. Right. Right. However, that's because handwriting is a skill. So the four stages of learning a skill are a aware, like in Tung Fu, we talk about using the word, but it's like, well, I hear what you're saying, but well, you did a good job on that, but well, I'd like to help you, but I'm so, you know, the word, but creates conflicts, right? And many people go, how can I be 40 years old? And I've never heard that before. (laughs) So the first stage is awareness. The next stage is awkward. It feels a little awkward to say and instead of but because it's a habit, right? Well, we don't give up. We don't say, well, I can never do this. We say, of course, it's awkward. I'm new at this. (laughs) And then we keep going. We get to the third stage of learning and that's applying. And if we apply the techniques we learn, you know, when you help people, you know, get on media and so forth, if they remember to pause and punch, if they remember whatever, they're going to get better results. And then you get this lovely final stage where it's automatic. So it's aware, it's awkward, applying and automatic. So what we're talking about is the possibility posse. Okay, so first it got my attention because it was alliterative and it was new. See, I had not heard that before, mm-hmm. right? So I already knew it had potential. And now I look for for spelling it differently because see, Tung Fu is an alphabetized version of Kung Fu, right? You take a word and you run it through the alphabet and sometimes you can come up with one of a kind words in a couple of minutes. So let's just take Tung Fu, Ang Fu, Bun Fu, Sun Fu, Dun Fu, Fun Fu. Fun Fu is how to handle hassles with humor, right? Instead of harsh right. words. <laughs> right. And then there's Gung Fu, Lung Fu. Oh, there's Run Fu for when Tung Fu doesn't work. And then there's Tung Su <laughs> for lawyers. And then there's Young Fu for kids. <laughs> so when there's I There's so many pos- possibilities. <laughs> That's <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> possibilities. P-O-S-S-E. See, mm-hmm. because now- If you wanted to trademark that word, if they thought, you know what, this doesn't just work for our community, this could be a thing. This could be like BNI. This could be like Rotary Club or Kiwanis, Mm -hmm. where every small town has their own possibility policy. For them to actually brand that by spelling it in a new and unique way and then proving first commercial use, you know, they could have a business right there, an enterprise. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to tell them all of that and then you see if I can get in on that too because I love it. But while you're speaking, you, I say, you know, a lot. And listening to the podcast, oh, you know, when I listen to myself, I'm like, oh my God, I keep saying it. I say, you know, I say, you know what I mean or understand that because I'm, I feel like I'm trying to get some feedback to make sure that I'm being understood. Do you have any advice for me on that? Because I'm sure we have listeners that do the same thing. Good. Uh, that's a wonderful question. Is that um, I wrote a book called Concentrate, as Stephen Covey gave the cover endorsement, etc. And one of the ideas of Concentrate 
we cannot focus on the opposite of an idea. So let's go back to your teenage sons playing lacrosse. If, if, if the coach says don't hog the ball, right? What are we thinking about? If we tell kids don't run around the pool, what are they thinking about? If we Running tell someone, don't be late, <laughs> that's, that's oh. exactly right. Don't be late. Right. Stop interrupting me. The words not and stop, they, they are ghost words. We actually imprint and reinforce the very behavior we don't want. Like stop swinging so fast. Don't drop the ball. You know, I'm not going to be late. I'm not going to get mad. So, so if you say, I want to stop saying, you know, what are we doing? We're reinforcing the reinforcing. very habit. We That's right. So the way to do this is to replace what you don't want with what you do want. So let's come up with several phrases oh. that you are going to imprint. And, and <laughs> it's funny. You know what I use a lot with clients and, and on podcast? What do you think about that? Oh, you turn you it know, around and ask Has that question. happened to you? Do you see how you ask and, and, and a variety so it's, it doesn't become repetitious because rep, repetition becomes annoying after a while, right? So oh, yes. <laughs> what do you think about that? Has that happened to you? Has anyone ever said that to you? Have you been in that situation before? And by the way, I call this a hook and hinge. And it's based on something years ago, we had an Olympic athlete at Maui Writers Conference. And he talked about training for the games and he choked and he did not even make it out of his heat. So he didn't even get into the finals. He didn't even get on TV. And he was so disgusted with himself. He threw in the towel. He quit the sport. And then a couple hours, a couple years later, he thought, I cannot end my athletic career like that. (laughs) And so he went back into training. And this time he made the games and he actually ended up on the medal stand. End of story. And I looked around and everyone was kind of giving him polite applause. I could tell what they were thinking. And what they were thinking was, well, good for you. What's that got to do with me? Because, see, he never once hooked and hinged. A hook and hinge is at the end of every important point or story. We do hook is the key words of it. And the hinge is a, a you question. Have you ever had a goal that didn't work out the way you wanted? Did you throw in the towel? Did you decide that's you couldn't live with that and you decided to try it again? How did that work out for you? Do you see how no one else in that room was an Olympic athlete? However, if he pulled out the hooks, you know, going for a dream or a goal that didn't work out, giving up, deciding to go back. Everyone in the room, whether they were 16 years old or 65 years old, they would be able to make his story their story. And so good for you for feeling that that urge to hook and hinge back to your audience. It is a way to make a monologue, a dialogue and make everything you say interactive, even when it's virtual and online. This is resonating so much with me. And I know with a lot of my listeners as well, because as an online entrepreneur, we talk about ourselves a lot. And the th- the trend that I'm seeing for new on- online entrepreneurs is to act like an influencer and not as a service coach. Mm-hmm. So, the, and I've, and I am totally guilty about this. And I'm, and I've been working to change it is that I'm talking about myself and not bring, not doing the hook and hinge. 
I'm just giving you the information. So why would you care about what I'm talking about if you can't see yourself in me? If you want, if you know, you've seen what I've done and you want to be the same, but unless I can bring you into that story, it's not working. And that's what I want to go back to the elevator speech, because I feel like that's going to be really poignant for our listeners to hear what you have to say about it. Because most, I don't know, all elevator speeches, I'm not going to say most, are not about the client. They're about what we do. You're 100% right. And face it, we are all asked this question, what do you do wherever we go, even online? And many people hate the elevator speech and uh, they are taught to come up with, I help blank do blank, right? Well, yes. who's that about? <laughs> so <laughs> me, I believe <laughs> Diane Keaton was asked um, of everything she's learned, what was one of her most important lessons? And do you know what she said? What? It's not about you. It never was. <laughs> <laughs> or it's not about me. And that's what I teach. It. Yeah, that's what I teach in, you know, when, when we're pitching or trying to get segments or trying to get articles or writing articles that it's not about you. It's not even about the producer or the editor. It's about the audience. Good for you. Okay, so here's how we disrupt it. Uh, Jeff awesome. Bezos said the only danger is not to evolve. So right here on in our interview, Beth, you and I are going to evolve the elevator speech into an elevator conversation. Sound good? Yes, I'm writing it. I, this is the only podcast I've ever done. I'm literally taking notes as you're talking. I'm going to put my pen down. I'm like, I have three pages of notes already. Keep going. You're amazing. Well, I love what I do. I hope that comes across. Uh, it does. Good. Okay. Now, I bet one of the things you and I agree on also is to start with a story. That otherwise, la, 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 la. It's a listicle. It's that sage on the stage where we're being an authority However, people are kind of tired of that these days. It's very one way. I'm, I'm kind of passive. You know, it's like, when is she going to get to something good? So if we start with a real life story, it is proof of concept, right? And people mm -hmm. get the epiphany that is embedded in the story. And then we get into the specifics of how to do it. So okay. let me start with it's a 90 second story. So I had an opportunity to speak at Inc. 500. And so we were talking about how to transform an elevator speech into an elevator intro. And so here is a woman. She is uh, Entrepreneur of the Year for the state of Oklahoma. And I said, what do you do? Wah, 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 wah. At the end of 60 seconds, no one in the room had any idea what she did. And she was the CEO. <laughs> so I said, can we play? And she said, okay. I said, in, instead of trying to explain what you do, because explanations confuse people and confused people don't keep listening. It's like trying to explain okay. electricity, right? right? So don't try and explain what you do. What are the results of what you do that we can see or that we can smell or that we can taste or that we can touch? And she said something about MRIs and CAT scans. I said, great. Don't tell people that. She said, don't tell people that. I said, if someone says, what do you do? And you say, oh, I run the medical centers that offer MRIs and CAT scans. Oh, it's the end of the conversation, right? We don't want to <laughs> okay. end the conversation. We want to open the conversation, right? So I said, turn it into a three-part question. Do you know anyone, could be yourself, a friend or a family member who's had an MRI or a CAT scan? 
Now they may say, oh yeah, my daughter hurt her knee playing soccer. She had an MRI. Now we link what we do to what they just said. Oh, I run the medical facilities that offer MRIs like the one your daughter had. <laughs> now, do you see, here's the three steps for people listening. They can take notes as well. Step number one, <laughs> unless they're driving, not when you're driving, no, no, right? <laughs> is that ask a three-part question. And if you're thinking, why a three-part question? It's because if I say, have you ever had an MRI? And you say, no, we just ended the conversation, <laughs> right? And it kind of feels like an interrogation, right? <laughs> it, we're back yeah, and baby personal. into a corner. <laughs> right. So if we say, do you know anyone, could be yourself, a friend, someone at work, do you see how we have just increased the likelihood that they know someone who has used what we've done, familiar, is in that situation? So we have just dramatically increased the likelihood that they can relate to our work, and, and right? And furthermore, uh, that's had an MRI CAT scan. Now we put a sock in it. And we put a sock in it in under 20 seconds, because do you see how they're going to say something? Well, I never have. So-and-so has. We have already turned it into a dialogue and we're only like 30, 40 seconds in. We don't have a lecture. I help blank do blank <laughs> one way. We have two-way communication, 40 seconds in, right? And then the third step is we link what we do to what they just said. And so we if they said, oh yeah, my daughter hurt her knee, then it's not just that's what I do, because that kind of yanks the conversational carpet out from underneath it, right? right? We say, oh, I run the medical facilities that offer MRIs like the, do you see how we have common ground now? We're 60 seconds in, we've already had a dialogue, we already have common ground, they already relate to what we do, remember what we do, and then we're off and running on a mutually meaningful conversation. And that really is the point of an elevator intro, is to give us a hook on which to hang a mutually meaningful conversation. And that's what it's all about. And that's how, and that's how really what I teach is really teaching people how to not only connect, but then move that conversation and that relationship forward for a win-win and whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, <laughs> as you're talking, I'm going, I'm going I'm to start teaching this. <laughs> I'm going to teach the Sam Horn method of hook and hinge or not even like turning your, in, your elevator speech into an elevator conversation. I really like that because I, I, I know that it's going to help so much more. How many times have I met somebody? They're like, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a business coach. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> There's no conversation, you know, mm. or if I like, you know, and I'm thinking about what mine would be, if mine would be something like, um, you know, is, do you have a favorite expert that you watch on morning television? Mm -hmm. Would you want to be, you know, and then talking about how you get to be that expert? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a lot more interesting than I help entrepreneurs, blah, 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 blah. It's not as much fun. It's, and I think see, that anyone hearing easier. you, anyone hearing can hear the difference. You know, we, we've just had, we've just talked about this for a few minutes. However, I've got a friend who's a publisher and you know what his number one prerequisite is for publishing a book? What? What is the shift, right? What is the shift? <laughs> it's, 
it's not just here's how to do that a listicle of stuff, you know, and it's not just story, story, story. No, what is the shift? And what I try and do in my work are, are to think about challenges we have, common situations we face. How do we, how do we normally handle them? And is it working for us, right? And if it's right. not, is connect? there a better way? You know, is there a more effective way? How can we shift to communicating in a way that we connect instead of just give one-way speeches? You know, how can we be in media, give a presentation, write a book that actually makes a difference for people and that resonates with them in a way they choose to make start or stop or do something differently? So we're, we're in the business of helping people make shifts. I love that. And I love how you use the eyebrows as a meet, as a meter to see how, what kind of sh- connection you're making and what kind of shift you're making. You've given us a lot to think about, Sam. I really appreciate you because not only do you, not only do you give us, this, have you given us this information, I feel like you would never make us feel bad about it. And you just, and cause you have such a, a way about you that you just want us all to be successful and collaborate and connect. And you've given us so much to really work from. So I know that you've talked about your book, Kung Fu, Fu, which Mm -hmm. is, and you have a new pop version. Well, let's see I've got a number of books. Here's here they are in sequence. Uh, First is Kung Fu and, and then is what's holding you back. And that's how to go anywhere, anytime, meet anyone and uh, with confidence. And then was concentrate, and that's how to focus in a world that's uh, a little frazzled, a little frenetic right now. And then is how to uh, take the bully by the horn. And if you're dealing with someone and they are breaking all the rules and really making your life miserable, the bully book will help. And then it's pop. And Seth Godin gave the cover endorsement for for pop. I will always be grateful to him for doing that. He said... He said, um, a quarter of the way, you'll be begging Sam Horn to be your consultant. So thank you, Seth. Thank you, Seth. (laughs) And then came got your attention. And so 30 seconds about that. You've been talking about the eyebrows and people may be going, what is this about the eyebrows? And that was from our very first year at Maui Writers Conference is that we gave people an opportunity to jump the chain of command. You could pitch your screenplay to Ron Howard. You could pitch your book to the head of Random House. And yet they would say, so what's your book about? Wah, 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 wah. And I talked with Bob Loomis, who is senior VP of Random House. I said, Bob, what's going on? He said, Sam, we've seen thousands of proposals. We make up our mind in the first 60 seconds whether or not something is commercially viable. And the next day I stood in back and I watched people pitching their 10 minute sessions with these decision makers who had the power to give them a deal on the spot. And I could predict who was getting a deal without hearing a word being said. And it was based on this. See, if if people's eyebrows were crunched up right now, just crunch up your eyebrow. You feel confused, Beth? You know, like you don't get it. Well, if people don't get it, we won't get it, right? (laughs) And if their eyebrows were unmoved, it meant they were unmoved or they'd had Botox. (laughs) (laughs) And their eyebrows are up. See, Beth, when you said there's no and in answer, boop, (laughs) right? Never heard it before. It's got alliteration in it. It's useful. It's prescriptive. You know, so see, that is one of the purposes of that pop book is how can we get people's eyebrows up, got your attention, et cetera. And then the latest was called Someday is Not a Day in the Week. Oh, and that's your new TED Talk title as well, I saw. 
That's exactly right. And that's based on this lovely quote from Paulo Coelho, who said, one day we're going to wake up and there won't be any time left to do the things we've always wanted to do. And so that someday book hopefully helps us get crystal clear on why we're here. An Ikigai goal, Ikigai is Japanese for purpose, a reason to wake up in the morning. And once we get clear on that, how can we set it in motion? Because we will never regret doing more of what's important to us. We'll only regret not doing it sooner. Wow. Sam, you've given us so many pearls of wisdom and actionable steps to take today. I thank you so much for coming on. Sam, what's the one place people can go and get more of you? First, thank you, Beth. I really enjoyed this. This is like uh, when pilot when pilots can't be up in the air flying, they do what's called hangar talk. You know, they hang out in the take and the hangar and they talk about flying. So you and I have been doing, you know, the version, the communicators version of hangar flying. And <laughs> I love they it. can go to intrigueagency.com. So it's I N T R I G U E intrigueagency.com. And there's information there. I've got a pop masterclass coming up and, and the TEDx talks that you've mentioned are on there. And I really hope people find it interesting and useful. And they will. I will put all the information in the show notes. And I know, Sam, that everyone is going to want more of you because honestly, I do. Thank you so much for coming on. It's really been a joy. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for joining me this week on Behind the Spotlight. Make sure to subscribe so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, I'd love a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about it and that would help me out too. But if you like the show and you want to check out more, look me up at bethnidick.com. Plus now I'm offering private 90-minute intensive strategy sessions. You might want to get in on that too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Behind the Spotlight.